Hello and welcome to Square Hole, the podcast that explores neurodiversity, employment and the creative industries. I'm your host, Sazie Cliviture. This time we're joined by Adele Okayada, a partner in the design agency and materials library, Material Driven. In our interview, we uncover Adele's perspective on materials as part of the creative process. We also talked about environmental impact, sustainability, and the potential of neurodiverse creatives' perspectives to be the catalyst for exciting discoveries in design communication. My name's Adele Orcajada. I'm she, her. Um, I'm a materials specialist. So I guess I work alongside creatives. uh, And I guess you have to be very creative to work alongside them. Um, and I'm a partner at Material Driven. So Material Driven is a, a materials library and a design agency. So we've got a collection of over 500 material samples. And what we do is we use these as a tool to support designers in the way they create and design things. And then Amazing. the other half of Material Driven, I'll, I'll, she can't be here today, but she's uh, she, her, and she's Purva Chavla. She's... Um, my my business partner she lives in the US and she's an architect i'm actually at my uh, fashion designer as a background fabulous um do you have any connection to neurodiversity what do you understand by the term so i don't really have any direct relationship um you know as perv and i were preparing these questions we looked back and we realized we didn't hadn't had any specific connection. But I do think after I've been reading a little bit more about it, understanding really the realm of what, uh, you know, this word means, um, through materials, I think we do kind of reach out to the idea of neurodiversity because materials are so nonverbal that the way they can connect to the sensory experience and to like alternative ways of understanding the world, I think is really intense. So I think through materials, we are connecting to various neurodiversity um yeah so in your experiences of projects that you've worked on collaboratively how have neurodivergent and neurotypical people's experiences connected to the senses through the tactility of materials you mentioned there's a a, a, there's an inherent connection there um can you talk a bit more about that Mm -hmm. so i think one of the biggest projects we've had that i think can relate to this idea of neurodivergence is an exhibition that we did in 2019 for Architect at Work called Designing for the Senses, where we explore the whole sensory realm of materials. And of course, one of the very important parts of this was the idea of of inclusivity and diversity through materials. So for example, we were exploring, there's an artist called Paula Lawrence, who's created these kind of objects that have different textures and different material senses that are aimed to support, for example, people on the spectrum. So she studied which materials or which textures are soothing, which ones are um, stimulating, and they can be used in these different kind of um, situations. We also explored the idea of of nonverbal signage um, and wayfinding through textures and different kinds of uh, uh, smells as well. So I think that experience was was really interesting because even during the show, we got general public, we got professionals. There was a wide range of, of, of um, 
neurodivergency as well. And everyone got their own personal experience through this um, immersive uh, display. Wonderful. So you've just talked there about how materials were used differently to include various neurodivergent people. Have any of the processes of the uh, collaborators that you've worked with, um, have they used any new processes that you hadn't expected? Um, To be honest, at the moment, um, it's quite a new experience for many of our clients. So I think everyone's kind of exploring and and discovering what potential can come through materials, what narratives are powerful through materials. So they're kind of under discovering how consumers can engage or, or customers will engage with these experiences and almost as feedback, realizing that it reaches out to a neurodivergent public. I think many, many of our projects haven't started off with that uh, intention and yet they've discovered it along the way. I think we're finding this quite a bit through the conversations that we're having that adaptations that might have sort of started in one place are actually finding people who are making those adaptations are finding actually this is quite useful for uh, neurodivergent people or the other way around that adaptations that are designed or directed towards neurodivergent people are seemingly uh, useful to actually everyone when you consider you know little things like how you run a meeting or or how you set up an office or what kind of expectation you have that those you know the benefits can be reaped by everyone and that's really interesting and you sort of talked about unexpected conversations and that leads really lovely onto our next question which is has the use of materials ever prompted conversations about social issues that you hadn't expected I mean, I think initially when, especially because we work with sustainable materials or, you know, our main focus is using materials to solve problems. Um, You know, we start off with this kind of really positive, idealistic angle on material innovation where, you know, we're recycling some kind of agricultural waste and turning it into a new material. But then, of course, if we dig in deeper, we start questioning, you know, where does this waste come from and why does this community have all this waste? Or, you know, um, who really needs this kind of material and why aren't they being able to develop it? You know, a lot of these new materials are being created in expensive labs. Are these going to reach the countries that need this or the communities? And I think, you know, there's this whole issue where trends are a lot of trend um, um, experts are defining sustainability as the new luxury. You know, why should it be a luxury? Shouldn't sustainability something be something that reaches out to all kinds of um, levels in society? So I think, yeah, we start questioning deeper the narratives behind great innovation. We'll find that we're going to be questioning uh, why we're doing it and how we're doing it and the impact it's going to have, of course. That's so interesting because when obviously when you consider the people who are at the sharp end of the effects of climate change or the people who haven't actually created the most waste, the people who haven't created the most carbon emissions, they are the people who are facing climate change. It's such a, a, a sort of salient and and central point to this conversation. And I don't think I'd ever heard the phrase sustainability is the new luxury. And I'm sitting here nodding and going, of course it is, because, you know, 
my you know my um my coffee cup that I carry around is expensive my sanitary towels my my bamboo face cleanser pads all that stuff costs so much money most <laughs> you know average person might not be able to afford that of or course. even afford to learn about it so you know sometimes it's not even that the thing is so expensive but you know it just might not be information that they handle so it does, it's it or it's just something that doesn't exist in certain yeah, parts of the world absolutely. and and for certain people mm -hmm. but however as we said they're the ones who are right who are facing mm -hmm. the reality mm -hmm. Of there's, climate, and of there's also, oh God, we could, the, I could go on about yeah. this. And there's oh, also the is. issue of, of <laughs> cultural appropriation, which I wanted to mention. You know, there's Dude. a lot of material innovation that's coming up now that seeming, seems like this great new idea. And yet sometimes it comes from ancient traditions from tribes and, and ancient cultures that have been using this, you know, historically. And suddenly some, some modern country, uh, brand takes this idea and brings it to the market. Like there's this complaint online. Uh, this company brought out these kind of disposable plates made out of leaves. Mm. And they're like, oh, this great <laughs> new innovation. Turns out this has been something that's been used, you know, in Nepal for centuries. Um, and, and they're like not getting the credit for something that they've been doing and developing for many years. And of course, that they've probably been sort of nudged, if not pushed out of using for themselves, you know, as a, as a mark of progress, as a mark of civilization, you know, don't, and then all of a sudden the West is like, oh my God, this is amazing. We should absolutely do this. And as an African woman, yeah, you can tell that I get it quite wound up. Um, so we're going to move on. Yeah, you can so go on for ages that, with this one. Oh my God. Honestly. Um, so the work that uh, Material Driven does sort of takes in three different strands and those are like education, consultancy and project work. How have your experiences of these interconnecting strands influenced the direction and development of the agency? So I think when we first started out, we had this emerging library. It wasn't 500 samples at, at the beginning. You know, we, we had a really clear idea of the what we wanted to achieve, but we didn't know how to do it. We really yeah. wanted to change the way designers created objects. We wanted them to understand that there were so many more options. Uh, and we wanted them to understand that they could design from the material and not as a plug-in at the end of their design process. And then the other thing that we really wanted to achieve was to get these young or new innovations out into the market. We were reading about exciting ideas and we would realize that maybe six months later, that project didn't exist anymore. And we were wondering why this was happening and you know how can we help them? So it was almost like we wanted to be matchmakers. But obviously by matching a material maker with a designer, we couldn't finance our project. So we had to find services that would help us achieve this, uh, but also give us the income. So we started teaching, you know, one of the biggest ways that we can educate is being in schools and universities. Uh, we start teaching, we've been teaching at studios as well. So we can do this, uh, you know, from a more standard way of teaching as a lecture, mm. or we can create um, some kind of workshop. We've doing handmade, handmaking things where we make bioplastics. Um, and we found that that was a really good way to achieve one of our goals, which is to help people understand what materials are all about. 
then we, we develop the curation side where we're educating, but in a different way, not such an obvious way. Uh, it's a little bit of this thing that we're saying about object-based learning. We're not giving them words. We're not teaching them um, a, a theme, but they come and just by touching the materials, by being immersed in the experience, they, they come with a takeaway and it's a more personal uh, learning experience. And then the last one, the consultancy, I think came afterwards. We didn't aim for that at first, but then just through our, our, our workshops and our curational experiences, we got a lot of people contacting us saying, hey, we love what you taught us. Can you help us find these new materials? And that's how we started developing that side of our business. That is super impressive. And uh, and I, I, I love to hear a woman talk about, oh yeah, we weren't planning to do this, but we're so good at it that uh, people really wanted us to come and teach more and to and to be more involved in their businesses. It's, it's wonderful to hear, especially the work that you're doing. Um, how can materials specifically provide a role in communicating to audiences? And why is that so important? I think for me, uh, and that's why, you know, I ended up working just with materials and not designing. Um, the materials give the whole narrative and the whole context to an object or, or to a space, or to a building. So I think what a material communicates is is um, often overlooked, but yet it's something you take with you. And you'll remember a space or an object by, by how it made you feel, when you touched it. How many objects do you, you know, like, I don't know, the, the way like Apple was, was so successful because of the way they made electronics look organic and smooth and matte looking and you want to touch them. And I think that's kind of the experience um, or textiles, you know, people want to touch them. If you look at somebody up with something woolly, normally they'll put it on their face. So I think it's just the emotional connection that comes through materials is very powerful as a, as a communication tool. And I don't know if I forgot part of the question. I got a little lost no, no, there. No, that's <laughs> wonderful. And you're making me think now every phone feels that same way. Every, you know, it's, it, it, you're so right because there was a day, there was a time when phones were all shiny and plasticky and Apple and iPhone kind of just changed that in a way. Um, how can one make use of materials with clients and in projects that aim for inclusion of diverse participants? Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes back to this exhibition we did for designing for the senses. You know, it's really important to think about what the, your client or your participant in your space, what you, what you want them to feel, what do you want them to get out of it. So do you want them to, to get some very tangible knowledge? Like, do you want them to tell them a story or is it something that you want them to feel? And that's how you can play with the, with, with the materials. You want something textured they can run their fingers through. Do you want the smell to come through? You know, we've got a lot of biomaterials now that come with inherent smells, which initially for our traditional consumer might be really weird and off-putting and yet if we educate them suddenly we can we can explore that it feels like it smells like nature it smells like healthy it smells like sustainability and responsibility and we can give them that experience of feeling like they're doing the right thing and they're being ethical with the planet what does sustainability smell like <laughs> exactly i mean <laughs> For me, sustainability now smells like 
um, you know, organic, like a little bit like rotten vegetables because I'm working in a lab now creating new materials with waste and sustainability for me now smells like fermentation and um, earthiness and it's the smell that at first was a little off-putting, but now I got used to it. Obviously, mm. the final product doesn't smell like that. But if you're making the materials, that's the process. And then, of course, we have to work on the final smell. But it's interesting because you can't totally take that smell away. You can, But you can um, train it a little by adding honeys and sweet smells to it. And so there's a whole new realm of smells that will smell like sustainability. <laughs> Wow, that was a really again, good question. I had never really considered what the smell of sustainability was, but <laughs> now, now I really am desperate to smell it. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound like the most bonkers thing that anybody's ever said to you. Um, Do you think there are any particular effects on neurodivergent creatives that working with materials brings? So we've talked about sensory, we talked about smell, we've talked. About, is there is there anything else? Could you go deeper into that topic? Um, I'm not an expert in the neurodivergent realm, but from my experience through materials, I think what I can relate to them is um, I always worked very intuitively through materials because they have a personality. They have a way of interacting with your hands, with your with all of your senses, with noise as well, with sound, the crackling of a bioplastic or or of um, a raffia or, you know, the way a leather might feel. Um, and I think for any designer, but particularly for someone neurodivergent, it's understanding the personality of a material will tell you how to design with it. And I think, you know, that this is one of the things we teach at universities, material-driven design. That's where the name of our company comes from. Working not from an idea of a shape, but rather letting the material drive you towards the final shape because you've interacted with its properties and its personality that's such a really beautifully succinct way of answering that question um do you have any advice for our listeners that may not be engaging with materials in a way that you feel could be helpful to them i think for a designer i would say look towards science as well that's something that's inspired me in my past in the last few years realizing that science and art are so related and that actually a designer, if you're only looking at shape, color, uh, texture, you know, it's kind of hard to take a step back. And if you look towards science and read about innovations that they're coming up with, that's going to trigger new ideas. And only you as a designer can interpret them in a really special way. So I would, I would say like really step out of your, your discipline and look towards um, something more scientific and that will really spark new ideas. Wonderful. And the last question is, do you have anything that you'd like to promote? Where can people find your work? Yeah, so actually, I, I would like to mention two things, if I can. One, very quickly, um, I'm actually, due to the pandemic, which has changed everyone's lives a little bit, uh, very long story, but I ended up now living in Spain and launching a new center for biodesign in the Basque Country, Amazing. in the north part of Spain. So I'm creating, this is why I'm always in a lab now, creating new materials. But we've got this wonderful new center with part of our library here um, where we're exploring biodesign and we're creating new materials. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is that actually, 
in April next year, we will be having a new exhibition in London uh, called Pure Oxygen, where we'll be displaying, it'll be an immersive experience of materials and we hope to see everybody there. Well, you will absolutely see us there. But what's the name of your new center and whereabouts in Spain are you? So it's called the Basque Biodesign Center. And it's in Bilbao, in the Basque country. It's up north in Spain. Wonderful. So, um, you know, we'll come out and visit. Um, (laughs) We're going to start saving for our tickets now. So thank you so much, Adele. That's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Enjoy your evening. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks. You've been listening to Square Hole. On behalf of its creators, Lorna Allen and Januk Sarkar, we hope this episode has allowed you to consider some new pathways into your understanding of neurodiversity. We would really like to give a massive thank you to all of our interviewees for giving us their time and knowledge and talking to us about their experiences. We'd also like to extend our huge thanks to our funders at the RSA and to Zoe Law, who helped fund the production of the podcast. A huge thank you to Ade Bambala and to Carrie Morrison for their editing. A big thank you to Angus Wilson from Eames Music for arranging our music theme. Finally, thank you to you, all of our listeners, for joining us. We hope this helps you in some way on your journey. It has certainly helped us.